dedicated to the overwhelmed, the exhausted, the burnout, the people who are in today's vernacular just done, done. I don't know if you've ever been done, done. But when you're done, done, nothing can pull you back from the brink of that type of burnout except what David said in Psalm 23, you restore, you restore my soul. I found something out somewhere along the road of the journey of life. Youthful idealism gives way to the harsh realities of the vicissitudes of life. Did you know you don't need necessarily religion to humble you? Just keep living. Life will humble you. Life will make you shut up. Life will make a blabbermouth shut up. Life will hit you so hard that you go through seasons where you don't talk unless you have to. Have you ever had life close your mouth? You used to have an opinion about everything. Now you don't talk about nothing. And everybody asks you that annoying question. Why are you so quiet? Be careful with quiet people. Could be they're quiet for a reason. And life can be overwhelming at times. You have responsibilities. You have issues, both your issues and the issues of other people that they put on you. You have stress, problems, and, and what, what Paul calls temptations. Now the Bible gives two definitions for temptation. We say it in our society today, your mind immediately goes to one place, but the Bible sees it uh, in a duality of definition. There's two. When Paul says temptation, number one, he's talking about the obvious, the temptation to sin, to commit sin, to violate the law of God, the lust of our flesh, the desires of our mind, the things we know that we shouldn't do that sometimes we find ourselves drawn to. That's the first definition of temptation. But then the second definition is a strenuous trial or circumstance or problem. A season of attack, a season of difficulty, a trial that strains you. And the reality is whether you're resisting sin or you're resisting against problems and trials, the Christian is seemingly always wrestling with something. And life doesn't give you the luxury of one battle at a time. I would be amazing if I could fight my battles one I'd be undefeated. But life's not like that, is it? Because while you're fighting for your life over here, something new breaks out over here. 
and then you got to go down there and deal with that down there, and then something breaks out over your head up there. And there are people in this room that are living through this reality right now. You are fighting multiple battles on multiple fronts. You're going through all-out war trying to hold on to your mental health. And at the same time, all hell's breaking loose with your children or in your marriage or in your finances or in your health, in your physical health. And there's multiple battles on multiple fronts. And it's not that you're weak. You'd be okay. It's just that it's all happening at the same time. Temptations. The church at Corinth, at the time when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 10, was literally about to fall apart because of temptations. They were about to quit on God because of temptations, both the temptation to sin, that's the first, but also just the trials, the attacks, the difficulties, the problems in life. So in response to their crisis, the apostle Paul sends them a word from God. Because for every trial and for every temptation, there is always a word from God. Now again, temptation has two definitions, two meanings. So Paul's word to them is layered. In the first layer, he challenges them to remove themselves from their past sins. Things like immorality, idol worship, and lust. You must understand the Corinthian church was comprised of people who were Gentiles. They had no raising in Hebraistic theology, and they had been heathens all of their lives. And so now that they are saved, Paul is challenging them to separate themselves from the lifestyles in which they had grown up in and been entrenched within. It's, it's like Paul is trying to get them over the fact because the Corinthians seem to be shocked to find out that being a Christian, a real Christian, is not easy. It's like many people today, they think Christianity is just coming to church. And so they live sinful lifestyles. There's no change. There's no sacrifice. There's no repentance. They are now exactly what they were before. The only thing different is they've added church to the schedule once or twice a month. But when you start to take your Christianity seriously, to some degree, you're always under pressure. Because not only is there warfare on the outside, but if you decide to be a real Christian, now there's warfare on the inside. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He said, I noticed that there's two laws working in me. Number one, since I received Christ, I love the law of God and I want to do good. But then I noticed another law. When I try to do good, I recognize that while I'm trying to do good, evil is always present in me trying to get me to do bad. Paul said, there's a war in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. To be a Christian is to be called into a state of warfare to some degree and then you add on that crazy people and then you add on that wild kids you add on that financial problems you add on that health concerns you add on that family drama and dynamics and it can get overwhelming it can bring you to a breaking point. 
and the Corinthians, they were upset because they had stepped out of a life of moral depravity, debauchery, uh, immoral decadence was their normal. And they, they had stepped out of that into the church. They had received the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had embraced the Holy Spirit. They were exercising in spiritual gifts. But when it came down to allowing their spirituality to restrain their natural behavior, they felt like it was too much. See, that's where the rubber really meets the road. Is at what point do you allow your spirituality to restrain your lifestyle? At what point do you allow what you know and have learned about God to make a practical impact on how you choose to live your life? At what time does your prayer life begin to influence your habits? At what time does all that studying you've done of the word of God begin to change how you approach your marriage and treat your spouse? And they thought it wasn't fair. They, they thought that they were they were going through harder trials than Paul's other churches. They felt like it was harder for them to live for God than it was to anybody else. And to answer this faulty notion, the apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, honey, except such as is common to man. In other words, what you're dealing with isn't unique That battle you're fighting in the flesh, it's not unique. You're not the most stained Christian in the world. You don't have the deepest issues. You don't have the worst problems. I mean, most people just lie to you and act like they don't have any issues, but it doesn't make it true. As broken as you are, whatever you got going on, Paul said, it's just common. It's common to the human experience. Is your marriage in trouble? Let me give you some cold comfort. It's common. Having problems with the kids? I notice nobody's raising their hand and saying amen real loud, but I promise you. It's common. Spouse cheated on you and broke your heart. And as painful as that is, it's common. Somebody abused you or mistreated you. As wrong as it is, as deplorable as it is, it's not right, but it's it's common. Maybe you're an addict. Maybe you got an anger problem. Maybe you're a liar that can't tell the truth to save their life. Whatever it is, it's common. That, that deals with the, the first definition of temptation, sin. But, but then, however bad the devil is fighting you, it's common. 
whatever attacks are coming against your mind, against your mental health, whatever depression, anxiety, or spirits of oppression and depression are coming against It's common. You are not in a unique class because all hell is breaking loose in your life. Then he says, God is faithful. He could have stopped there because acknowledging what I'm going through and acknowledging that it's common, that's helpful. And then acknowledging that God is faithful, what that tells me is I'm going to be dealing with the issues that are common to mankind as long as I'm walking in the earth. But as long as I'm walking in the earth, no matter what I'm dealing with, I got a promise that God is faithful. That means he ain't leaving. That means he ain't closing his ears when I ask for help. That, that, that means he's not choosing to abandon or disown me no matter what I do or how I fall. God is faithful. God is faithful. And as long as I walk this earth, no matter what I go through, God has chosen to be faithful. That helps me because people will say they'll be faithful and then turn their back on you and walk away when the going gets tough. But God is not a man. God is not like people. God is. Oh, I think we should just stop and just praise him because he's faithful. As I look back over my life at all of the things that could have destroyed me, my testimony is God is. Somebody holler, faithful. No temptation. Now catch the spirit of, of what Paul's saying. No temptation is overtaking you such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Watch. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He didn't say he wouldn't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are comfortable with. He said he won't allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. And then Paul's not done. He's revealing something. But with the temptation, if you got a Bible you can write in or an iPad you can highlight or a phone you can do, you need to underline this with the temptation. That's a whole word right there. With the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, what Paul is saying is that every time life or the enemy sends a trial or a temptation, God sends a grace with the temptation. In other words, you can't go into a new fight without a new grace for it. That there's something about the attacks of life or the enemy that attract a new grace from God with the temptation. Now, three focal points from verse 13 I want you to note. Number one is the obvious. God is faithful. God is faithful. Number two... God knows your ability. 
if you peer inside and read between the lines of what Paul is saying when he says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, what he's making known to you is that God made you. God designed you. You didn't make yourself. God constructed you. God built you. And therefore, because he is your maker, he knows your ability and you don't. And then number three, God's grace guards you against temptations that are beyond your ability. Paul's letting them and us know you're a derivative of divine design. God is your architect. God put all of the specs in you. God designed your will, your emotions, your personality, your gifts, your ability, and the capacity you have for bearing up under temptations, trials, storms, and attacks. In other words, he's the only one who knows what you can take. Regardless of what you feel like you can take, you don't really know. The only one that really knows is God. And God heard you say last week, I can't take it anymore. And he sent me to remind you of what you haven't considered. Number one, you haven't considered that you didn't design yourself. You didn't get here by yourself. You didn't make yourself. You didn't create yourself. You didn't order your own steps. So you don't really know what you can or cannot take. And number two, you have failed to recognize the grace that arrived with the temptation. The devil can't send a new problem without God sending a new grace. Now listen, Paul is not trying to simply motivate or encourage them. Because it sounds encouraging and most church people take it as that. Well, he won't put on you more than you're able to bear. No, he's not doing that. He's stating a fact. Since God is your maker and since God is faithful, we can deduce by fact that his grace would have never allowed the burden to come if you didn't have the ability to bear it. That means if the problem was allowed on you, it's only because the strength to bear it is already in you. But just because we've been given the ability to bear the weight of our trials, whether we feel it or not, just because we've been designed by God and gifted by God, it doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain. You know, sometimes pain lies to you. Hear me with your spirit. Sometimes your pain lies to you and tells you that you're in worse shape than you really in. Sometimes your pain is so painful that it becomes the focus and therefore blinds you to other present realities. And some of you in this room, I say to you by the Spirit of God, your pain has been lying to you. 
and making you come into agreement with it about your life and about your future. Making you say things that God never intended for your purpose. Making you think things. Making you cause yourself to go into concessions about certain things and let certain dreams go and let certain ambitions die just because of the presence of some pain and the pain is lying to you the devil is a liar and so is your pain and and the pain's been causing some of you to believe that it's over the pain's been causing some of you to just anesthetize yourself with whatever your script of choice is. No longer pursuing purpose. No longer pursuing God. No longer being what you were destined to be for your family, for your community, for the kingdom of God. Just existing. Trying to do anything to get your mind off of the, the pain. Pain's a liar. Pain's been telling some of you to take your own life. Pain's been telling some of you there is no future and there is no point. Pain has been lying to you about your life. And some of you have been hurt so bad, you've turned your pain unwittingly into an idol. Because you don't go anywhere without checking with the pain first. You don't do anything without checking with the pain first. You don't serve the Lord the way you should because you got to check with the pain first. And in many ways, the pain has become your God. We feel the pain. Paul felt the pain. The scripture says, in Paul's own personal life, he went to God three times and he prayed in travail that God would remove. And he doesn't tell us what it was because I'm, a, I'm convinced if he would have told us what it was, it would have wrecked a lot of our theology. But he cleans it up and just says, I got a thorn in my flesh. And God, more than anything, as I serve you, as I go on these missions, as I go to Rome and preach in front of Caesar, as I go to Colossae and Philippi and Ephesus, as I go all of these places carrying the gospel, the one thing I need you to do, God, is take this thorn out of my flesh. And he prayed, and God said, no, my grace So Paul grows in his faith, grows in his experience, grows in his ministry influence, and goes back to God after all he's accomplished the second time and says, God, I'm going to need you to take this thorn. I could be so much more effective. I'd be so much happier. I would enjoy my life more. Will you take the thorn? Second time, God says, let me look at those specks again. No, my, my grace is Third time, Paul pleads. He pleads in tears. He pleads in agony. Paul was so anointed, people that could not get into his meetings were sending handkerchiefs for him to hold on his body and pray. 
and they would send the handkerchiefs to sick people who couldn't get to the meeting. And when the sick people came in contact with the anointed handkerchief, the Bible says they got healed. Paul was powerful. He was preaching one day and a man fell out of a window because he had climbed up on a perch just to get into the building and hear the word. He fell out of the window, broke his neck and died. Paul stopped his sermon, walked over to the man, laid hands on him, raised him from the dead, and then went back to preaching. This man can't get God to remove a thorn in his fleshy part, his, his flesh nature. Oh, the things we ask God to remove that God responds, my grace is sufficient. Have you ever prayed that God would change the way you feel? Y'all ain't hearing anything I'm saying. Have you ever prayed, God change me so I'm not like this? Or Change me so I don't want this. Or change me so I'm not attracted to this. Only to hear God say, my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I would be so much stronger, so much better if you'd send me the right partner. Seemed like you sent me all the wrong ones. Can I get the right? One right person. God, I'm so tired of being alone. Consider what I could do for you if I had some help. My, my grace. God, I would be so, so much more of a well-adjusted person. I'd be more apt and equipped to do what you called me to do if I had a healthier childhood. No. My, my grace. My grace is sufficient for that. It, in other words, what, what does that mean? That's, that sounds like church speak. My grace is sufficient for me. No, no, it's not church speak. What it means is if I allowed it to touch your life. If I allowed it to come into your life. Then it only means I've already given you the internal strength. And external grace. To bear up under the weight of the problem. And no matter how bad it feels. It will not cause you to break. I want to talk to somebody who's on the verge of a breakdown. You're going to be shocked because as much as you feel like you're going to break down, you will not be able to break down because of what God put in you, because of what God stored up in you, because of the way God created you. You may feel like you're on the verge of a breakdown for the next 35 years, but you will not break because before it ever came, the strength and the grace. The strength and the grace. The strength and the grace came with it. You 
have no idea how strong you are. Hear me. This is not a message for the crowd. This is a message I wish I could take and sit in front of each and every one of you as individuals and say to the, to the eyes, the windows of your soul, hear the truth. You have no clue how strong you really are. Neither did Moses. A couple highlights about Moses. Jesus said he was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. You remember that God spoke to him from the middle of a burning bush. You'll remember God said, you hold this rock. And then the finger of God itself wrote out the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. You'll remember he was hidden in the cleft of the rock as God passed by and let one man in the world see his form. You'll remember he stood on the banks of the Red Sea with the rod of God in his hand, stretched it out, parted the water, and delivered a million and a half people over a dry riverbed that once they came out, closed upon the Egyptians that were pursuing them and utterly destroyed the enemies of God. Moses. In our text, Moses is having, and I don't use this lightly, a suicidal breakdown. He asked God on multiple occasions in the chapter to kill him. End it all. I'm done. And the scripture says in Numbers chapter 11, verse 11, if you'll go back there and read the words of the Lord, Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? In other words, he's saying, what did I do wrong? You ever look at what's going on in your life and then you just step back and look up at heaven and say, what did I do something? And then he says, you've got me, you got me carrying burdens that are not my own. In other words, God, I got my own problems to deal with. Why is it that I got to deal with my own problems and yet you've called me to these people and now I've got to deal with their problems too. Let me talk to people who help other people. Either in your vocation, it's what, like what you do for a living, or maybe in your family, you're the strong one, so everybody brings their stuff to you. People that have to be strong for other people usually walk around right on the verge of a breakdown. Listen, being strong hurts. Having a reputation for being strong to where everyone in your circle goes to you when all hell is breaking loose, it will bring you to the verge of a breakdown. 
And the reason I'm preaching this to you this morning is this. If Moses, God spoke to Arian, or to Miriam and Aaron when they um, were challenging Moses' leadership. And God said, other prophets I have spoken to in dreams and visions. But with Moses, I speak face to face. If a man that spoke with God face to face and held the tablets while the Ten Commandments were being written and stood on the literal bank of the literal Red Sea and watched the literal water part. If that man is on the verge of a breakdown. I know some of you came in here hanging on by a thread. Moses challenges. He is leading and responsible for a multitude, multitude of people that he loves, but he can't relate to. In fact, Moses, if you know his story, was born a Hebrew. So he's related to them, but he can't relate to them. You ever been related to people that you can't? Did mama and daddy lie to us? Are we really the same? And he's having problems because he's, he's trying to deal with people that he loves, but at the moment he doesn't like. It's exhausting dealing with people that you love. But that it's moments you really don't sit there and look at me like you don't love nobody that you at the same time really don't. And the great man of faith and power is about to break because he's spending and pouring out his life trying to help people that will not help themselves. Trying to help people that will not help themselves will kill you and put you in an early grave. And that's what he asked for. Would you just kill me now? I can't bear the shame and of doing it to myself, but will you just strike me dead in this moment? He says, if it's going to be this way, that means he's lost hope that the future would change. See, that's what pain will do. It'll lie to you and say, see how it is now. Always. And in the face of the pain, lying to him and saying, it's always going to be this way. He said, kill me now. Because I cannot. That's what he says. I am not able to bear it. I don't have the strength I need, the gifts I need, the patience I need. I don't have it on the inside to deal with this. And so God responds. In verse 15, God's going to do four things. Three of them are great. One of them is out of this world. God does four things. Verse 15, or verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me. Huh? Uh, gather to me 70 men. 
of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people. That's a side point. Just totally step out of my presentation and just let you know you are what you are before you are it. He said, I want you to go appoint elders who you know are already elders. I want you to go give a title to someone who is already the thing, even though they haven't been titled. This is how ministry offices and functions and gifts work. You are always it before you get titled it. The title just affirms publicly what you have been privately. And so he says, go and appoint elders who you know to be the elders of the people. I want you to make them officers, officials over them. In other words, I want to change up the structure of how this whole thing goes. And I want you to bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. This is a change in strategy because before it was only Moses and Aaron going to the tabernacle of meeting. Now there's a change in strategy. Now the 70 are going to be there with him. Next verse. Verse 17. Then I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Four things I want to show you real quick, and I'll be out of your way. Number one, God says, okay, I'm going to send you help. Prophetic word for the people of Christian world who feel overwhelmed. God is sending you help. One of the promises by the prophet in the Old Testament is God will give you people for your life. I prophesy the right people for your, the help you need in your business, for the help you need in your family, for the help you need in your household, for the help you need with your children, for the help your child needs with that school subject. They just cannot get beyond that God's going to send you help. The right teachers, the right tutors, the right counselors, the right advisors. I prophesy God is going to send you help. God is going to send you the right loan officer to approve the loan for the home that you need, for the business renovation you need. God is going to send you to the right dealership for that car you need because you know the one you got's been breaking down every two and a half months. God is going to send you help in the form of people. That's the first, oh, hallelujah. God, I praise you for it if no one else will, that you are the God that sends help, 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 help when we need it. God told me to come in here and tell those who are overwhelmed and exhausted and at a breaking point, help is coming in the form of people. Help is coming to help shoulder the load. Help is coming. God said, Moses, I'm sending you help. I'm going to send you 70 helpers. I'm going to send you 70 helpers. I'm going to send you 70 people tied to the heart of the vision of what I'm doing. I'm going to send you 70 helpers. Then the second thing God says is I'm going to show you how to restructure your life. This is part of the problem Moses is dealing with. He's in a new season with an old structure. God leads us from faith to faith, level to level, glory to glory, strength to strength. But most of us most of us form the structures in our life in an early age. We form our habits 
in an early age. We form our reading patterns. We form our financial patterns and habits at an early age. We form our communication styles and habits at an early age. In other words, we form our structure that enables us to get through life. We form those things at an early age. And then as you age, you start adding weight to that structure. If God elevates you, you add weight to the structure. If God blesses you, if a family is added to you, you add weight to the structure. If any responsibility is added to you, you add weight to the structure. And you've added and collected all these things through life and never went back to adjust the structure. And so things are breaking down, breaking apart. Things are falling through the cracks because you've been growing everywhere else except the structure. And God says, Moses, the reason you're falling apart, you are not where you were a few years ago when you walked in and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. The structure you had for let my people go, that was great, and it worked then. But it will not work in the wilderness. Each new season, each new level of weight, each new level of responsibility each jump you make in your business, each jump you make in your career, each jump you make in your family, you've got to go back and adjust the structure or it's going to fall apart. In your business, you cannot, it's impossible, serve a hundred clients with the same structure you used for 10. It will break. You cannot market if you're marketing your business or your book or your song or your rap CD or whatever it is. Don't laugh. I'm believing for God to give us some power players in the industries of music. And you can stand back there and throw religious stones and criticize them. I'm going to preach Jesus to them and help them grow. You can't market yourself. Okay. If you're aiming to market towards 50,000 or 500,000, you can't market with the same structure that you did to market to 500. Do you want to come to the trunk of my car and get this EP I got? Because if God ever gives you the response you're asking for, the response will break the structure. And God says, Moses, we, we have a very, your pain's lying to you and you think your life is over. We have a very simple issue here. Your life needs to be restructured. Even, even things simple like, uh, you know, if you didn't have to work out at 22. <laughs> sit there. It's going to get rough for a minute. And you could eat Whataburger three times a day. When you went home and got in your pajamas, you lifted your shirt up and them abs was just peeking at you. Just... And you kept on 25 and, and 27 and, and 29 and, and 32 and 36. And at some point, you cannot continue to do the same things you have done in the past without changing the structure, something's going to break. Something's going to have a breaking down, a falling apart. Something's going to give. 
God said to Moses, you did all this stuff, but you never made any adjustments to the practical structures of your life. So since you didn't do it, I'm going to come down and help you restructure your life. Do you know that if you will ask God, God will give you the wisdom and help you restructure your life in the areas that are out of balance? Number three, God says to him, I'm going to give you a new strategy. Here's a new strategy. You don't have to come approach me alone anymore. You can come with Aaron and bring those 70 with you to the door of the tent of meeting. Now I'll disperse strategy so that the speed of your effectiveness, that's all strategy gives you. It increases the speed of your effectiveness. It's accomplishing the same thing much, much faster. I'm going to give you a new strategy. In other words, you, you don't have to speak to the whole camp anymore, a million and a half people. Now you just stand there and you share with 70 and you share my presence with them. You share what I've been saying with them at the door of the tent of meeting. And now word travels fast. Implementation travels fast. If we need to shift, we can do it fast. Moses, I'm going to give you a new strategy. And I thought, that's amazing. <clears throat> That would help me if I was having a breakdown and God said, number one, I'm going to send you some help. I believe I'd get up and stop snotting right there. If you know, I'm going to send you some help. You have no idea how much I pray, me personally, how much I pray for God to send me some help. Because there's only a handful of people that can really help me because I'm heavy. And so I pray all the time, Lord, send me help, send me help, send me help, send my wife help, send, send, send our family help, send us help, send us help, send us help. Well, it's a big prayer of mine, you know. And if God said, I'm going to send you help, I'd be, whew, that'd be good. Then God says, I'm going to restructure you. Boy, that'd be helpful. Then God says, I'm going to give you a fresh strategy. I'd be dancing. But God doesn't stop there. God said, line those 70 men up. Because I heard you say, I heard you say something. Hallelujah. I'm talking to you, somebody in this room. God said, I heard you say something, Moses. I heard you say that you weren't able to do what I called you to do. So stand there. Let me learn you something. Have them 70 men line up and watch what I'm going to do. God didn't say he was going to take the Holy Spirit and put it in the 70 men. God said, Moses, I'm going to take your spirit. You're missing it. Moses. You're one Moses, but I'm going to take what's in the one Moses and I'm going to put it in somebody else. But there's so much in the one Moses. I'm going to need 70 people to be able to hold the capacity of the strength, weight, and ability that I put in the one Moses. In other words, Moses... I want you to be able to look at an outward example 
just how strong you are. Moses, you're as strong as 70 men. In other words, you're 70 times stronger than you think you are. I got a reputation for preaching messages to one person, leaving everybody else in the crowd out. I don't mind doing it. I told God a long time ago, he can make a fool out of me. Whoever you are that said last week, I can't take this anymore. God sent me here to tell you, you are 70 times stronger. Seventy times more able, seventy times more capable, seventy times more capacity, seventy times more competent. Hardest thing in the world for us to do is see ourselves. That works positive and negative. You ever notice how you don't know when your own breath stinks? You need somebody to tell you because or unless you've got a mirror, you know, you don't know when something's out of sort. You don't know what's going on with the back of your head or sometimes you don't know when you're being a jerk and talking out of turn. Your spouse has to tell you on the way home. You made a fool of yourself at that party. hard to see yourself. That's true of our weaknesses. It's true of our strength. You are more powerful, more capable, and more able to deal with whatever it is that's got you down. Whatever it is that's got you in the floor, whatever it is that's breaking your heart, whatever it is that's hurting you, You've been believing the lie of the pain. Just like Moses. And God put what was in his spirit into 70 to show Moses. Moses, for the first time in your life, you've always been telling me what you can't do. You told me you couldn't go speak to Pharaoh because you didn't speak well. You told me you didn't have the wisdom to manage these people. You told me you couldn't feed them in the wilderness. You told me you couldn't part the Red Sea. You told me, you told me, you told me what you couldn't do. For the first time in your life, I want to take you out from behind the paradigm of your self-doubt the paradigm of your insecurity that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not good looking enough, that you're not. And I want to show you what I put in you. I want to show you what I made. I want to show you what David meant when he said, we are fearfully 
and wonderfully made by the Lord. I want to show you that you are excellent, not just because of you. You are excellent because I created you and I purposed you and I called you. And there's something about you being in the hands of my creation that puts stuff in you that you don't even know is there. You've been thinking about quitting. You've been thinking about ending your life. You've been thinking about forfeiting your purpose. All because of the lie of your pain. God sent me to tell you. You are 70 times strong. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise all over the house. be obedient to my assignment. There's people in this room that this message wasn't for you, but you do have needs for prayer from other areas, other things. So you can come to the altar for prayer. But then there's people in this room that you are the one who I'm talking to. And every word was an answer from the Lord for what you've been going through in your life. You were the one that said last week, within the last seven days, I can't take no more. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to release an impartation of strength. I want you to come to this. You can come for any reason. So everyone that's coming, that may not be them. You can come for any reason, but... But if you thought about taking your life, if you thought about ending it all, if you thought about quitting, I want you to come. I want to pray for you. The Holy Ghost is moving right now. You're going to receive an impartation of strength. You're going to receive an eye-opening experience to just how significant you are. Elders begin to move through the people. Begin to move through the people and pray the prayer of faith in accordance with the book of James. And we will see miracles. We will see miracles. You're going to start feeling it when you walk into the altar. Before you're even prayed for, you're going to start feeling God touch you, not just a man. God touch you. Troubles, they don't last long. 
Lady, lady, Lee, stop. You were hit with like a sledgehammer in your soul. And the intent was to shatter you into pieces. And for a long time, you thought it worked. God was just allowing the challenges of life to bring a restructuring and a refocusing of your need for him. In the presence of the Lord, your life, your future, and your destiny is established in a place that no man can destroy it. No enemy can thwart it. No lie from people can tear down your identity in the presence of the Lord. For a long time in your life, people have tried to label you different things and for a long time you believed it but God is drawing you to a place in his presence and his word where he names you and he calls you what you are there are some places that you've never fit because you were never created to fit there there were some people you were never able to connect with even though you wanted to because you were not purposed for it so today we release the grace of God over your life we release the word of the Lord into your spirit we release the hope of God we can't negative thoughts and the self-doubt that has been crippling you. We cancel the things that have stood in your path and blocked your career. We cancel the things that has caused such doubt in your heart that you literally felt the pain in your chest. And in the name of Jesus, we send the word to your environment. We send the word to the air in your car and to the air where you sleep. And we speak peace over your mind. That attack against your mind and thoughts ends today in the name of Jesus Christ. And we commission you into a journey deeper into God, into his word, into his presence, into what he has called you to be. And we release the grace of God and the strength of God over you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace.
Thank you, Lord. Uh, you ever see the cranes on construction sites, you know? The Lord is bringing cranes to your life. Major construction. You've been through years of kind of doubting your place in the world, where you were and where you were going, what you were going to do. The chapter has changed. The age has changed. It is kind of like pressing on you. But you're not for the little trucks. It's going to take cranes. What God is going to do in your future. Something happens when the Lord releases prophecy. And then there's an impartation of anointing. When I lay my hand upon your head. The strength of God that is in me is going to come into you. And it will manifest in unique ways. I can't describe exactly how. But a favor is going to come upon you today. And you are going to notice somewhere in your life the construction. You're going to see and notice the cranes. In the name of Jesus, I release it to you. The strength of God. The favor of God. The grace and enablement of God. Lord, as he follows after you, as he seeks your face, as he seeks your word, as he tries to find out all he can about you, I pray that you reveal all that you've deposited down in him. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. the grace of almighty God and the divine enablement and the strength of God that he 
would reveal to you where you are in space, where you are in time, and what he put in you. I pray the Apostle Paul's prayer from Ephesians 1.18, I pray the eyes of your understanding, your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. May you be strengthened, strengthened, 70 times stronger. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm about to dismiss. I'm about to dismiss. I've been praying for help. Everything we're doing on this project, we're doing without a bank. And I've been praying for help. I've been praying for help. And not everybody can help because I told you I'm heavy. But I'm praying today for 70 people that would give $70. We got more stuff to buy next week, and uh, it's getting up there. I'm praying for 70 people that would hear this word, want to sow into it, want to communicate back with it, want to help get the word of God done, and or the will of God and the work of God done, and, and would say, I, that was for me. I, I received something, and God, I want to give back to your house. I'm just, just believing. I'm just believing there's 70 people that would make a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering to give $70 for our construction. We can go as fast as you'll send us. We can build as fast as you'll allow us to. This is a construction project happening completely by faith. And if you want to help us, if God just put it on your heart to help us, some may give more, some may give less, but if you want to help us, get an envelope. You can give cash, you can give card, you can text, you can do however you do, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just believing for 70 people that'll help us. 70 people that'll help us. Father, you see the sacrifice of your people and you promised your blessing where you saw sacrifice. And I pray you bless and rain on them as they give. I know you're the God of seed time and harvest and you honor sacrifice. For some, it's an extreme sacrifice. But you see that as honor and you respond to it. So whoever they are, Father, touch their heart. Lean on them and I pray you send them help, and I pray you send them a restructuring, and I, I pray you send them strategy, and I, I pray you send them an outward revelation of how strong they are on the inside. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have something you'd like to give, you can come and do that now. I love you so much. We'll see you Wednesday night.